This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, October 18th of 2018, it's episode 140. In this spooky Halloween episode, Undeath, plus the role-playing games we'd make if we could, more streaming schedule updates, Overlight, The Gauntlet, Necromancy and Scripture, Being All Skeletoned Out, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. How's everybody doing tonight? Eh, doing okay. Reasonably well. Yeah. I'm busy, about but the same. not bad day at work. So. Yeah. yeah. It's somehow been a very busy week for me at work. Not sure why. Mm. Hmm. Actually, th- speaking of work, this was kind of cool. I wound up with a surprise, essentially, four day week this week. Hmm. I went into work at the normal time on Monday, That's and right. the building was as black as a mine shaft. So I walked up to the front and talked to the woman at the reception desk. There's multiple companies in the building. She works for a different one. But I went up and talked to her and I was like, hey, when is the power expected to be back on? And she's like, oh, they're saying about 9.15. 9.15 comes and goes. 9.45 comes around. Boss comes back and says, the estimate for power being restored is 3 o'clock. <laughs> Have a good day, everybody. Go home. <laughs> Wow. So that was pretty cool. Nice. We had an outdoor craft show in kind of a chilly, windy weather the weekend prior. So it came at just like the perfect time. I got a, a day to recover and surprise four-day work week, essentially. So yeah, mm. that was pretty awesome. Nice. Yeah. I had to uninstall a Nintendo game today. It was causing too much strife. Okay, okay. You, you got to give us a little more story than that. Okay. I, I mean, to be fair, Grant and I already know this story, but yeah. the listeners don't. I am a librarian. I work at a public library, and we have a lovely video game section. And there's this one game. I don't remember the name of it. It's one of the Super Mario games. It's on the Wii U. Pretty sure it's New Super Mario Bros. Something like that. I, I, I don't remember the name. All I remember is that the icon for it on the Wii U is Mario in a cat suit. Because that's a thing that you can do. And this game has caused a bitening. It has caused a screaming. And it has caused a, a, f- a full-on like meltdown in one kid. All while all of the children are insisting they're having a grand old time. And I'm like, no, you're not. You are clearly not. So I had to uninstall a Nintendo game. A kid bit another kid over On the this? leg. Yeah. On the leg. Wow. Okay, so a, a kid was gnawing on another kid's leg over Not this. Not like yeah, gnawing, that's, but that's, like... That's... Go, was... with it. Go with the gnawing, Jenny. That's <laughs> definitely cause for this game being uninstalled. It's, it's, it's getting a break for a while until these kids learn how to fight over another co-op game. And then this one can make a, a, a comeback. <laughs> Oh that my goodness. A, yeah. I, I just want to point out that given that you've described what I'm pretty sure is new Super Mario Brothers, I'm not at all surprised. Yeah. Because it, it's one of those ones where if you go too far ahead, I always hear, you're moving too far ahead. Oh, no, wait. I can't tell who I am. No, wait. You stole the cat power from me. It's that one. That's the title of the game as far as I'm concerned, because that's all I ever hear about it. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, before we get into our topic too heavily, can I just give a lovely shout out to the lovely Renegade Studios for being so very lovely about getting Overlight to me? Uh, we, we, yes. We talked briefly about Overlight with our episode with Mike Perna that was about board games because Renegade Studios mostly do board games, but they sort of transitioned into RPGs with Overlight. Um, mm-hmm. I would love to run the module as like a, a one or two shot with our gaming group. 
oh my gosh, it would be so much fun. I, that like, sounds great. The, yeah, basically, we could probably arrange that. Yeah, the the basic premise for Overlight is you take an album cover from Yes and then you turn it into a game. Interesting. Like, like literally, the thing that really sold me on this game is that within the first couple pages, they literally quote the the lead singer of Yes in terms of like the kind of style that they were going for with with all of their albums, uh, with a sort of divinity and surrealism. It's it's a oh, it's such a wild game. So yeah, th- there were a lot of issues with shipping to me because of the way that shipping works in my town. It's very very hard to get anything to me. Uh, they went above and beyond uh, to to get Overlight shipped to my place. And, That's good and of them. So I I just want to give them a massive freaking shout out. If you're looking for a fantasy RPG that is not your standard elves, dwarves, wizards, fighters stuff. That's what Overlight is all about. Um, it's really broken the mold in a lot of ways. Fantastic. Awesome. I'll make sure to mention them in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. Call them out. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, and I, I didn't back this one on Kickstarter, but I've looked oh, at some of the stuff since oh, you brought it up, and it's it's very, very cool looking. You should have backed it on Kickstarter. Like, you can get it in, in person at your FLGS now, but yeah, it's- I'm kind of in a- um, in a place where I'm backing stuff that I'm going to find useful for the game that I'm running. That's so. fair. That's fair. That That's understandable. Yeah. And I, I have run the numbers on getting new siding on the house. Mm. I am not backing anything mm. on Kickstarter for years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have run the numbers and the calculator came back with doom. Well, the <laughs> quote came back with doom. It was a lot. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry you have incurred doom. Yep. <laughs> yeah, me too. But it needs to be done. The sighting is like 40 years old. Oh, jeez. So, wow. I was wondering oh, if it was a like long recent time to hurricane get... damage or something, but like 40 years. Okay. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. 40 years is a real good run for some sighting. Yeah. It I is. Say. I, I don't know that it's 40, but it is ancient aluminum sighting, and mm. uh, you can pretty much just see the metal. It's sort of vaguely white. Oh, wow. okay. It's bad. Mm-hmm. This is what we get for restoring an old house. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, on a very I, you, limited budget. You get you get the the nice stuff, and you get the problems. So. Exactly. Uh, but speaking of um, cool indie games that you should back on Kickstarter, I do want to plug something else here, and this is kind of a personal plug. There's a podcast called The Gauntlet Podcast, put out by the Gauntlet RPG Community, which is a community of people who run indie games and playtest indie games and design indie games. Uh, it's it's a very big indie game community originally based in Google+. I don't know what they're doing now that Google Plus is shutting down, but that's kind of where they are. And they run a bunch of games over Hangouts to the point where they have their own convention that runs over Hangouts. It's pretty that's cool. amazing. So mm-hmm. if you want indie games, I'd recommend checking them out. But the latest episode of the Gauntlet podcast featured a good friend of mine, Patrick, who GM'd the fellowship game that I've talked about on the mics. Uh, He's a member of that community, and they brought him on to talk about stuff that he was doing, which I cannot describe in sufficiently cool terms, but Patrick did an excellent job talking about it. So I'd recommend giving that episode a listen, and possibly other episodes, because if you're at all interested in indie RPGs and cool gaming ideas and very specific RPGs designed for very specific gaming styles and moments rather than kind of the the broad swath of generic games and, and, you know, games designed to incorporate and encapsulate as many styles as possible, check out that community and the games that they talk about there and see if you want to get into one of their Hangout games because they do a really good job with it. Uh, I will make sure to link that episode in the show notes. 
do check it out. It's really cool. That that does sound awesome. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a podcast that I would enjoy as, as he so pulls many open podcasts. his podcatcher <laughs> and looks at like seven rows of podcasts. Oh, no. Listen, I'm right there with you. But I want to recommend this episode in particular because Patrick's an awesome guy. But if you are an indie RPG person, check this out and look at the like the games that they talk about. They seem like some really cool folks. Cool. Is this the same Patrick that you and your wife have been friends with for years or? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he does sound like a cool guy. Oh, great guy. Absolutely. Okay. Um, what else have we got for the preamble here? That's about it. Unless you want to talk about your Wednesday streams of Pathfinder. I should talk about that. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. Um, okay. So I kind of mentioned this in the, the last episode, but I didn't really stick a day on it either instead of or in addition to kind of depending on what my co-hosts want to do my participation in the Friday stream, I'm going to be doing a regular Wednesday stream of Pathfinder Kingmaker, and I'm going to try and do it until the game ends. The reason why I say try to is, well, twofold. Um, First of all, it's a very new game, and it's the first game of its type from that particular studio, so it's being patched rather aggressively these days, and as anybody who knows about this sort of thing will tell you, sometimes that will render saves incompatible. So if that happens, there's nothing I can do. The second thing is, is uh, in my main non-streaming save, I actually wound up having to get rid of that save because there's a second later in the game Doom Clock that does a really poor job of telling you that that's what it is instead of oh. just another plot point that's coming. Uh. And... I got into a position where I would not be able to solve the doom clock in time to avoid it. So that sucks. Yeah, I kind of had to start over again. The good news is, is I know it's there for the streaming stuff, so I can put my foot on the gas a little bit more when I start getting to that portion of the story. But it's there and that really kind of stunk. So I'm hoping that they either do some more stuff with further patching to advertise it as a doom clock more or maybe kind of just back off the severity of it or something but at least i know to be watching for it yeah right that's cool and i have not managed to catch one of these streams yet and i apologize wednesday is when chrissy and i set aside time to do something together in the midst of our busy (laughs) schedules you know yesterday because we record these on thursday so wednesday you know you were streaming and, and i was listening to expounded universe episodes with Chrissy while we did things together. And, you know, pa- Peter, you're a cool guy, but I'm going to spend time with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Completely and understandable. And I endorse this plan. In fact, yeah, so. yes. And I'm actively trying to avoid Kingmaker spoilers because I may pick it up for myself eventually. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, I am friends with both you and your wife, which means that I have a vested interest in you staying together so I don't have to pick one of the two of you if you split up. So, yes, please maintain your marriage so that I can continue being friends with both of you and avoid all future awkwardness. Working on it. He said selfishly. (laughs) But speaking of uh, doom and gas... I did stream Kerbal Space Program Friday, and yes. uh, that was fun. And that was that was a really fun stream. Yeah. <laughs> I, I poor Jeb, you really should uh, should continue to stream that for a while. Oh, I intend to, if, if only if, to prove to myself that I can, in fact, land a Kerbal on the moon. On the moon, on you can the do moon. it. You can you can land a Kerbal on the moon. Yes. I mean, he'll get there one way or another. <laughs> Whether he's in one piece or not is what needs to be determined. Yeah. Whether he can get back or not is kind of the question. But uh, he'll get there. If I can 
get them to space with enough fuel. That's been my problem. I'm going to need to do a little research. I may just have to be a little more aggressive about stacking fuel on top of fuel and, you know, more rockets. Well, and <laughs> I think some of my problem is um, I'm being inefficient in launching. Mm. I need to look up how to be efficient and like gravity turn properly and that sort of thing, because I feel like I've got enough Delta V in the can to get up to space and get to the moon and get back but like i feel like i'm not using it efficiently yeah that that throwing knife spin that the rocket did when it got out of the atmosphere that one time probably wasted some fuel well yes but that's because it turns out fins matter um and if you put <laughs> fins on only the stage that gets dropped <laughs> you run into problems <laughs> <laughs> This is this is part of the reason why, like the the fact that, you know, so many things can go wrong in rocketry and space exploration makes it harrowing and terrifying in reality. But it makes it hysterical to watch it in a video game. Form. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? We got off the ground. We got some science. We did an orbit. Mm -hmm. Yep. Enough to prove a point. Got your guy back healthy a couple of times, which is good. So, yeah, from yeah. orbit. So, and I, I am doing a very simple mode, like kind of the classic campaign mode, rather than the 1.0 campaign mode, which is uh, just science. There's sure. I'm not doing anything with funding because I figured the ability to like restart over and over and and not worry about micromanaging stuff would be more fun on stream. Yeah, you know, I do want to uh, save up some science and start doing some satellite launches and that sort of thing because satellite launches are just fun, like getting the right orbit to to start doing scans of planets and things like that. It, it's fun stuff, but honestly, at this point, it's just like I can't get a Kerbal out of Earth's or sorry, out of Kerbin's sphere of influence. Well, you it's know what you have accomplished, though? You have given me the courage to try this game someday. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't know when that day is going to come because... Presumably the next Steam sale that it gets put on oh, sale no, for. Oh, no, I've owned Kerbal Space Program for quite some time. Oh, it showed okay. up in a humble <laughs> monthly. It's just, I'm like neck deep, perhaps eyebrow deep mm. in big heavy-duty RPGs right now that I've mm. been playing, like... Pathfinder Kingmaker, I need to finish Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire one of these days. Mm -hmm. I really should go back and finish Torment Tides of Numenera at some point. Uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 is just sitting there having recently gotten the definitive edition. I never finished that one. So, you see so, my problem. <laughs> so, Peter, you've mentioned in our show notes that I would maybe enjoy Divinity 2 Original Sin because of a thing that I mentioned later. Am I recalling correctly that Divinity... the, the That game... It's it's a lot of words the, to the, say. The mouthful uh, of a title, yes. <laughs> yeah, mouthful of a title. DOS um, 2, call it that. Yeah, okay, okay. I, I thought it was one of those games with the little figures, like the little top-down... Um, no. It's, no, uh, it's okay. like a kind of an over-the-shoulder perspective a lot oh. of the time, quasi-isometric. It's, okay. it's fully turn-based. Um, okay. The DOS games give you a lot of freedom to kind of do whatever the heck you want to, gotcha. different types of... Uh, like magic effects interact in interesting ways, like acid is explosive and you can use that or, you know, mm. like water will put out fires and create clouds of steam, which can then be electrified. Cool. Um, it's cool. it's really cool. But there's a there's a particular character called Fane who can either be a party member or somebody that you actually play in the game because of the way is, that is he a, pregens work. 
He it, is a skeleton. He's a skeleton boy. Excellent. Okay. Yes. He is a he is a very sarcastic, entertaining skeleton. <laughs> okay. Anyway, speaking of skeletons. And, yes, and we skeletons. need to talk about skeletons. We're going to be doing uh, that. Because believe it or not, we have somehow, almost entirely by accident, managed to do a Halloween episode. Spooky. Yeah. I'm so I think happy. this might be the first time we've done this. I'm so nope. happy. Ken I Hite. love, I oh, love that's Halloween. Right. We got him on to talk about horror. And we're going to be <laughs> referencing some stuff that he's worked on in this episode. But before we get to that, Patreon question. Patreon question, indeed. Hey, it's uh, Backburner Games, which, of course, is Zach Lorton, whom we had on not too long ago. Uh-huh. If you were commissioned to make any role-playing game that you wanted to and you had complete creative control over the end product, and if money and time were no object... What would you make? Um, I'd probably turn the setting that I'm running you guys through into a really nice, like, Watsy quality illustrated setting manual. And it's got to be a role playing game, not just a board game. Yeah. I'd make something to do, like, official to do with Mass Effect. Because Mass Effect does not have an official RPG, to the best of my knowledge. I know that there is a Savage Worlds mod for it. But I would like to make an official Mass Effect RPG thing. And I would buy it day one. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and not just because you worked on it or just because it was Mass Effect. Both. <laughs> it's both of them. It's yes. both. I'm not sure how much this is blurring the line between role playing game and video games, but I would make basically a. A role-playing game that is designed for uh, 3D virtual tabletops in virtual reality, using something Ooh. like a HoloLens or something like that. Ooh. Ooh. You could all gather around the table and have things actually happening in real time. That's more, it, And that's more about the technology, perhaps, than the role-playing game itself. Yeah. So if maybe I'm getting away from the spirit of the question there, my other option, I think, would probably be an Earthsea role-playing game. Hmm. Wizard of Earthsea, uh, the whole Earthsea series by Ursula K. Le Guin, of course, I've mentioned over and over on the show, is one of those series that has just massively influenced me. And I don't know that it really even needs to be a full-on game so much as a detailed setting book. Yeah. Because there's a lot of really cool stuff and honestly some stuff that we should talk about in the episode we're about or the topic we're about to to talk about after this. But there's some wonderful elements in there and the whole setting just feels so rich and warm and interesting that I fell in love with it immediately when I started reading it. And so I'd love to find a way to realize that and create a game and you know a well-described setting book such that you can go from having read the books to playing in that setting and having your own stories there, not just, and this is of course the problem with all games based on other IPs, not just reiterating those stories, but having your own adventures. Yeah. I think that's what I would would do. All right, Grant, just so you know, this last reference was the final straw of you piling them on that broke the camel's back. I ordered a copy of the book from Amazon while you were talking. (laughs) Good. About time. I've only been after you to do that for literally six years. <laughs> Something like that. And it would have probably been longer if you'd known me for a substantial amount of time before then. Oh, I'm sure I poked you about it on the Fear of the Boot forums once or twice probably, somehow. Probably just in once passing. or twice. I think maybe you poked the entire community about it once or twice. Yeah, probably. All right. Let's read our scripture. And uh, thank you, Zach, for the question. We yeah. really appreciate it. Those kinds of questions are always fun. Oh, they are. And anybody who wants to get a question in to us... 
please go ahead and do so. Just support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash game. If you are already a Patreon backer, we're running a little low on questions, so start sending those in, folks. We really do need those from all of you, if you can. Yeah. And, and a quick reminder, it does not have to be role-playing game related. It does not have to be faith-based. It can literally be like, what kind of sandwich do you like? Oh, you're switching okay. off of cereal? <laughs> yeah, I am. Sorry, I'm changing, I'm changing my, uh, my example. Well, I mean, you know... We don't want Gameable to get cross with us. They, true, you know, cereal is kind of their thing. It um, really is. <laughs> I mean, we had one about cars a while ago that was actually kind of interesting. So, yeah. you know, th- those kinds of wacky questions are equally fun. Send them in. We don't mind yeah. at all. But thank you. Really appreciate that. And of course, if you want to support us in other ways, share us around on social media. Just tell your friends about us and help people find out about the show. Talk about a cool episode. Engage with us on social media. All of these things help us out. We really appreciate it. And of course, rate and view us on iTunes and anywhere else that you can do so. All right, let's do our scripture, shall we? Alrighty. Yeah, I can take Samuel. First Samuel chapter 28, verses 13 through 17. The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams, so I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. And we have 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 to 14. Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. I really want Luke. Do you want me to take Matthew as well? Uh, I can do Matthew as well. Okay. And we have Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 to 28. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And this is Luke 24, 36 through 39. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So our topic tonight is undeath, the undead, ghosts and goblins and ghouls, well, not goblins, but ghosts and ghouls and zombies and everything else out there. Skeletons and liches and whites and ghasts and... And everything else in the undead section of the monster manual Mm -hmm. and more. Exactly. So a quick disclaimer before we really get into this. This is a really big mythological topic to say nothing of its gaming and storytelling implications. So especially when we're talking about different types of beliefs in ghosts and spirits and various different cultures, ideas of, you know, how the dead interact with the living and things like that. We're only going to be able to hit the barest highlights. So keep that in mind. This is not going to be comprehensive. This is what we, this is what we can talk about in the time remaining on our podcast. Just <laughs> yeah. to be clear. Yeah. Just yeah. just to um, just to drive that home a little bit more. You will, if you go and look in the show notes for this episode, find four 
GURPS books linked in there. Oh, yeah. GURPS books are really exhaustively and extensively researched, and they're a fantastic resource for basically any game. If you really want to dig into this stuff, go find all four of those and probably GURPS Zombies, too, just for good measure, which is a newer release, and start sifting through all of that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's a whole bunch of resources out there for various, you know, ghost stories and beliefs about various different mythologies and traditions, all of that. Okay, what do we mean when we talk about the undead? What do we mean by undeath as opposed to death? Uh, The working definition that I have that it seems like neither one of you has argued with is the return of the body, soul, or both of a deceased formerly living creature to some mockery of life. And that mockery aspect is important. Return to actual life is resurrection. So obviously, um, if you're listening to a gaming podcast, you already know that this can take a number of forms. Most common ones are continued, uh, the mockery aspect, by the way, Um, the most common ones of that are continued decomposition, you know, literally rotting away, uh, needing to feed on the living in some way, such as ghouls needing flesh or vampires needing blood and or the loss of connection through incorporeality. Uh, Mm -hmm. In in gaming terms, undead may be significantly more powerful than living creatures, uh, particularly in terms of raw combat potential. And often, in fact, they are more powerful. Um, Some of the heftier types of fantasy undead in particular, like vampires and liches, can be just jaw-droppingly terrifying. But it's still a cursed existence. It's not life. It's it's something that's on some level worse to be in. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if you've got all of this combat power and stuff, you're not... You're not as human as you were before, even yeah. if you were originally an elf or something. You get the idea. See the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Yes, exactly. Like, the the captain's description of undeath is like absolutely perfect in terms of, of the kind of mockery that we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. That was actually probably my favorite scene in that whole movie because oh, there's that so good. moment of pathos, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this is not this is a character you kind of love to hate, but you also do genuinely feel for him a little bit, and it mm-hmm. worked out very well. Mm-hmm. Well, you get Jeffrey Rush to play him and <laughs> look what yeah. happens. I mean <laughs> you know? you're halfway there already, really. Yeah. <laughs> wow, That's she's mean. not that old. <laughs> Great, that was mean. I meant, you know, to being being good, but okay, oh, right. oh, okay, okay. We okay. thought you meant like to be a I don't know who Jeffrey Rush is, other than I guess he's that guy. I don't watch <laughs> movies. He's he's a pretty skilled actor. He's so. a very yeah, like he, actor, yes, I yes. I recognized him as oh yeah, that guy I've seen in things. Yeah, mm. he played a really so. good Javert back in um, uh, the nineties. Lame is too mm. cool. Anyway, back to death and undeath. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, undeath and beliefs about spirits and, you know, the dead and how they interact with the living, this is something that has persisted throughout almost every culture, uh, throughout history. Uh, again, we could spend hours talking about just one tradition. Uh, Mesopotamians, you have, uh, beliefs that, like, Nurgle threatened Ereshkigal with an army of flesh-eating dead. Uh, the Greeks believed in an underworld that people could be rescued from the romans had lots of beliefs about the undead where you had to do certain very specific actions to placate them in these kind of weird rituals every town was founded by kind of creating a portal for the dead and certain uh you know on certain days the cult of those dead would raise the stone that kind of blocked the gate into the afterworld so, or, or into the afterlife so that 
dead spirits could go and, you know, wouldn't get trapped here. Navajo, uh, the Chindi, the last breath to leave the body, was believed to hold everything bad about that person. Once somebody dies, their name's no longer used in case the Chindi hears you and haunts you to make you sick. If you die outside, the Chindi won't get caught and will disperse instead. Hindu beliefs are complicated. <laughs> like many things about Hinduism. Yeah, exactly. And not that these others are not, but I know enough about Hinduism to know how complicated it is, whereas other things I don't know enough about to say that, if that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm certain they are, but I don't have the direct experience with it. The undead in uh, Hinduism are extremely menacing and well outside. They're basically outside the natural cycle of death and rebirth, the wheel of life. The uncremated dead could get up and start walking around as pritas. There are evil spirits called bhutas and demons uh, could create rotting leprous creatures. All of these are prevented by cremation. In Japan, most undead are evil or vengeful spirits that return even after being properly cremated out of vengeance or spite or just plain malice. Yeah, like the the emotional part seems to be more key than the body itself. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, the syncretic amalgam of different beliefs and half-remembered mythological facts and that sort of thing that conglomerated into the the Western fantasy milieu has all of its own types of undead, right? You know, yeah, I mean, let's let's be real here. A lot of this stuff just springs straight from the mind of people like Gary Gygax, Dave Arneson, you know, mm -hmm. other early RPG creators. And that's fine. Well, but you say springs from their mind. A lot of it is borrowed from mm -hmm. other cultures, pop cultural references to those other cultures, yeah. that sort of thing, right? It's not that they came up with a lot of this, except in a few cases where they had like toys and you know just need well, to come sure, up with another but I'll, monster. I'll give you one specific example. There's really not a great mythological analog to one of the most iconic fantasy undead types there is, the Lich. Mm. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, some of that stuff has just been created from whole cloth. Yeah, that's I mean, cool. It's, I mean, it's, it's a super it's, zombie. Yeah. And yeah. And it does kind of get into the the wizard who has used foul arts to extend their life, you know, mm -hmm. beyond reasonable sure. it's, uh, it's, duration. You know, there's like that. yeah, there's all kinds of stuff like that. But there's not really like a lich creature in the mythology or religious tradition of any major cultures that we're aware of. Having said all that. We're a Christian podcast. We should look at what scripture and Christian doctrine say about ghosts and necromancy. We should indeed. And as you may have picked up from the scripture we've read, necromancy is actually spoken of pretty harshly in mm -hmm. the Old Testament. It, here it doesn't mean the fantasy razor of zombies archetype. We're talking here about basically a medium, uh, somebody who calls up spirits to speak with them. The ver passage I read from First Chronicles has concordance links all over Leviticus and Numbers, First Samuel, just all over the place, because that is one of the things that is very distinctly called out. It's pretty clear in the New Testament, for example, that all of Christ's disciples believe in ghosts and spirits. They're certain when they see Christ walking across the waves in the storm or see Christ after he's raised from the dead that, oh, no, that's a ghost. And it takes some convincing to get them to think otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. There's this wonderfully intriguing mention in Matthew uh, when he talks about the crucifixion, basically the same passage that talks about the curtain in the temple tearing in two, basically saying, you know, on the same day when Christ died, the dead were reported to have gotten up out of their graves and walked around and ghosts were seen all over Jerusalem. Now, see, the, the translations that I'm more familiar with is like the physical bodies of the dead 
got up out of the graves yeah. and started walking around. So it's less ghosts and and more like closer to zombies. Yeah. Different translations treat that very differently. Yeah. And that's created some interesting doctrinal distinctions. Yeah, I've, mm-hmm. I've seen that as like holy people got up and were walking around as a okay. kind of. Yeah. One or of maybe the I'm thinking of the, the same part of the story in a different gospel. But maybe because one of the traditions I have heard basically says that that reflects Christ dying and going to hell. Right. Just mm-hmm. you know, in the Apostles Creed, you know, he died, buried, descended into hell on the third day. He rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. Well, going to hell, you know, the place of the dead, that rising from the dead at that, you know, at that moment was all of the people who had previously died, whom Christ saved in hell. OK, which is an interesting interpretation on i don't know how much doctrine is behind it but i have heard that a couple of times mm-hmm. certainly goes well with the uh, the orthodox tradition of the harrowing of hell oh where, yeah <laughs> yeah you've got that that wonderful easter ritual where they do where the priest goes outside and pounds on the door while the congregation's rattling chains and stuff oh, i want to yeah. see that so, I, I would still so love to be there for that sometime yeah we should probably yeah. um differentiate right now between undeath and eternal life like like we said before Life and undeath are dissimilar because there's that mockery aspect. Eternal life is like legit life life with all of the connections and joys stretched out forever. But if your food is turning to ash in your mouth, that's undeath because you're not enjoying it. It extends consciousness in the mortal realm, but there is a terrible price, like not being able to enjoy anything ever again. Yeah. The concepts really aren't too similar, but there's a... a occasional uh, willful conflation by the sacrilegious. Um, yeah, sure. We've all seen the, oh, Jesus is a yeah. zombie meme. Yeah. yeah. Yep. We get uh, it. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're not actually funny. Thank yeah. you. You know, there are various traditions in post-biblical stories. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually see the return of a, a you know, medium in Acts with Simon, mm-hmm. you know, who is struck down by Paul. It's an interesting character. There's actually a apocryphal gospel that is repeated battles between Simon and Paul, hmm. uh, where basically Simon sort of becomes Paul's nemesis and Paul has to keep striking him down over and over, like, you know, uh, defeating him in various different ways as mm-hmm. he does more and more evil sorcerous things. It's kind of an interesting gospel mm-hmm. hmm. yeah. or document, I should say. It's it's not even a gospel. It's just a apocryphal text. Yeah. Also, can we also just say that considering Christianity is a religion that seems to be very, very clear on necromancy is a bad, we really do weird stuff to the bodies of saints. Like, regardless of of the the stuff that is laid out in Leviticus, Numbers, Chronicles, etc., of like, necromancy is bad, don't touch dead bodies, don't do all of that mess— we like to touch dead bodies a lot and have them out in the open in some cases. Like on my recent trip to France, we went to the Papal Palace where they just straight up have the sarcophaguses that have popes in them. Mm-hmm. They are not well guarded. I could have gone over. I could have, with, you know, superhuman strength, lifted the lid of the sarcophagus and just taken the body. And I don't know how many people would have stopped me. Yeah. <laughs> like, just saying. I did not do that. I should, I should be very clear. I didn't. There, but. there was there was no papal body heist. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, but you I know, could've. you say that, but like, this is something that has continued for a long time, and some mm-hmm. of it is is cultural, right? Yeah. The Semitic cultures out of which Christianity grew, you know, had very strict rules mm-hmm. about touching the dead for very yeah. good reasons. Mm-hmm. 
but death is also a thing that happens and eventually yeah. you kind of have to come to terms with that and then it's like well if we don't think that the body is the home of the soul anymore after death let's use it in ways to remember saints yeah. and things like that so yeah. it is odd mm-hmm. the cultural milieu is not the same yeah yeah and this is something that continues to this day mm-hmm. we really want to have open casket funerals where we can look at the deceased one last time before they go, maybe touch them, things like that. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, the town I I currently live in, Greer, has a drive-through mortuary with a viewing window. Huh. Yeah. It's it's weird. It's one of only a few in the country. But they put the body on display in this window. And that sounds weird, but yeah. the idea is people who have trouble, you yeah. know, coming in to see it when it's there. I don't even know what it's called off the top of my head, but, you know, where you can the come viewing? visit. Yeah, the viewing, things like that. Well, there are people who have yeah. trouble getting out of their car. Mm-hmm. Right. You've got some elderly people with, you know, maybe some right. physical deteriorations or something. That's or Or they don't want to leave the car with their makeup smeared yeah, and crying. Like, crying no, isn't no, always and it's, pretty. It is totally acceptable to so, only cry at a funeral. I'll tell you that right now. These are all good reasons. It sounds so weirdly American, right? Oh, yeah, we've got a drive-through viewing window. But it exists for a reason as a way to make this process mm-hmm. of grief and departure more accessible. And I don't want to turn this into a podcast on death, yeah. which is its own topic. But, mm-hmm. you know, that that connection to death, death is something that is so fundamental to human existence that, of course, we're going to have stories about it and then wonder, mm-hmm. well, what yeah. happens? And we as Christians, we have a very clear idea of what happens, but we're not alone in wondering about it. Yeah. No. And we're also not especially consistent across even just denominations. Oh, of course. Um, like there are still massive debates about what it's actually like to die. Yeah. And uh, I I think that's sort of part of what makes undeath a little bit scary because it's like, this is an unknown. It is an unknown. And also undeath, I think the word mockery that we used earlier, I think that really sums Mm -hmm. up undeath because it's all of the fears of death kind of come back and thrown in our face. Zombies Mm -hmm. really come from, you know, the Caribbean zombie myth, a fear of slavery that you can't get out of an unsleeping unresting labor that continues even after you're dead you can't escape it Mm -hmm. even in death vampires embody all sorts of fears uh disease sexual fears sexual concerns sexual assault famine like there are all sorts of different interpretations of the vampire myth which are mixed in with werewolf myths because sometimes those are one of the same it 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 gets complicated mythology is interesting is Mm -hmm. what we're saying yeah and it's not discreet yeah that's the important thing right there is not a discreet myth about this and then a discreet myth about the other thing and never the two shall meet these are all stories that have built up over literally centuries Mm -hmm. sometimes longer (laughs) right and guess what people trade stories and they intermingle and people bring them from place to place and this is what happens Mm -hmm. yep you know there are ghosts which are basically the idea that you can't move on yeah you can't get to whatever rest and reward awaits you or the vengeful ghost murder doesn't solve the problem after all right (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. so maybe don't do that folks (laughs) there's that idea of you know somebody who has been wronged in this life and is going to make sure they get their vengeance that sort of thing yeah in terms of gaming, the lack of mortal limitations sets them apart and makes them interesting. Mm-hmm. Typically, they don't tire. They don't sleep, with the exception of vampires. They don't breathe. They can't be poisoned, so on and so on. 
they are kind of human as predator in some ways, and they're they're scary because they're they don't have those weaknesses. Uh, yeah, but they also don't have certain strengths. Yeah, uh, usually uh, they just are. Just real quick to come back to to that a little mm-hmm. bit. Biologically, um, <clears throat> humans are kind of a pursuit predator, right? One of the things that makes us successful as a species is that we have the ability to like track wounded prey over long distances and stuff and basically wait for something to collapse. Yeah. You know, and then just swoop in and, and snatch that up to, you know, to eat it and sustain our society and stuff. Yeah. We have endurance. They do not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. A lot of animals require significantly more sleep than we do. I mean, I have cats. They sleep all the time. So that tireless aspect is kind of taking that whole pursuit predator aspect that we have and be like, oh, what if we were the prey, though? You mm-hmm. know, it's like there's something that can outlast us. Yeah. That's and that's not true us. of every form of undead. No, right? That's not a ghost not, but, story kind but of a, thing. But a lot of um, things like, you know, ghouls or zombies or that zombies. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. That, that's very much the zombie thing. Uh, yeah. idea especially the modern zombie mm-hmm. to yep. be sure especially in i think fantasy games undeath is typically something that is mercilessly evil right mm-hmm. you, yeah. you don't have happy joyful whites hiding no. around in a, in a <laughs> crypt somewhere you know they're they're sadistic and merciless because they are monsters and so on and so on and they kind of represent that fate worse than death where your soul can't move on, it's trapped, or your body is trapped, or you you have come back, but you are mindless. All of these different variations. You're not mm-hmm. fully human. You're a mockery. Yeah. yeah. And just kind of, you know, along those lines, I mean, this gets into a psychological horror of imagine having um, all of your worst impulses be the only way you can interact with the world or the only thing that's in any way gratifying. You know, either one yeah. of those is bad or... Imagine having to occupy your body as it rots away around you, you know, not just aging, but actually like disintegrating. Sure. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these old myths come from, again, cultural fears and moral panics and things like that, but also fears of existence without God. Yeah. A genuine fear of damnation. Yeah. Then there's also just like, it's gross. Yeah. There's a, a huge, huge gross factor to the undead thing. You see it a lot in The Walking Dead, for instance. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of this kind of somewhat stems from, at least in American culture, from the Civil War, where embalming really started to become a thing because all of a sudden you have to transport these bodies over long distances, right, to get back home properly. And that completely changed the American culture around death and funerals and to a degree undeath. For instance, you guys it's harder to find coffins in America than at pretty much anywhere else because the coffin, as opposed to the casket, is shaped more human-like. And you don't want to be reminded yeah. of that when you're at a funeral. I mean, I personally don't care. Also, you guys are, are a lot less keen on cremation than most everywhere else. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of burying in the U.S. And part of that is the preservation of the body. It's why embalming is continuing to be as popular as it is, despite the many, many drawbacks toward it when you actually think about how it's being done. It's part of that preservation and a a certain type of fear around death. Um, If you want to learn more about that, it is a fascinating subject. I would highly, highly recommend that you check out the Ask a Mortician YouTube channel. Caitlin Dottie is a mortician and she has a bunch of books out and she does all sorts of videos about like the death and funeral process, pretty much anything that where she talks about embalming, she will talk about the Civil War and how that affected uh, American funeral and death culture. Um, and I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. I've already sure. got the link for you. 
Already done. Oh, fantastic. Great. <laughs> this is one of the benefits of having a librarian as one of the hosts. They come prepared. <laughs> it's it's a great thing. Yep. Yep. I want to go ahead and move on a little bit here. Let's let's talk about using these in games. I kind of want to talk about using them as players because I think it's kind of very obvious how to use undead creatures as as a GM, mm-hmm. right? These are yeah. either monsters who, you know, leap out of the shadows and go Ooh, I'm a level appropriate encounter. <laughs> or maybe if it's a ghost, it's somebody who doesn't leap out and say that. They go, Ooh, avenge me, solve my murder, mm-hmm. give me back my teddy bear, whatever. Right? <laughs> um, like, like, I think we're all kind of familiar with the tropes of the ghost who is stuck here because they can't move on. Mm-hmm. Right. right? Yeah. And this, this is all stuff that GMs kind of get but we'll talk we have a little bit of advice for gms but let's talk about players yeah so undead pcs can be really really cool like to the point where world of darkness has three whole rpgs dedicated to them you've got games like monster hearts etc etc but they can be really disruptive i i talk fairly frequently about how for me when a character is dead they're dead and i don't want them coming back I did very briefly play a ghost of a dead character. Uh, this is the character where I was like, hey, so uh, that fireball killed me. And then uh, the updraft blew away my ashes and you can't res- resurrect me. I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. The group proceeded to beg me to come back, I, I think for just a couple sessions, because they needed some of my spells for a certain encounter or something like that. And so I was like, okay, fine. You don't resurrect my character. My character is going to be a ghost, and y'all are going to have to deal with that. And let me tell you, that would have been... I think that was still 3.5, D&D 3.5. And wow, did it not fit at all with the rest of the party. It was awful. (laughs) It was so bad. I couldn't use a lot of my spells. I had to change my alignment to evil because apparently all ghosts are evil. And I was like, well, can't I just be, you know, Casper the friendly ghost? And my group was like, no, you got to be evil. It says in the book. So well, they're reading the wrong book. Yeah, I've I, read- I don't <laughs> think even the monster manuals say that ghosts have to be evil, but it, it moving did. along. It did. I remember oh, this no, in three, so five, well. it did. Three, five, oh, okay. it, three, five it was it like that. So I, I had to change my alignment, which I think affected some of my spells. Uh, and it was yeah. just such a bad experience. So if you're going to play an undead character really think about the group dynamic. If having one undead character amongst a bunch of living characters is going to disrupt the fun, you don't have to. Like, no, nobody's making you play an undead character unless you were in my high school group, in which case, you know, you know I, what you did. And I think <laughs> kind of along what you were saying, Jenny, if you are playing a character like that, this is where you as a player need to fight hard to get some rules bent. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, if you're trying to play it as a by the book monster, depending on which game it is, Mm -hmm. it may simply not work. If you say this is my character who has these special things going on, you know, and some good and some bad. Well, now we're getting somewhere. Now it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And we're getting into what we were talking about last episode with character backstories. Right. Um, Yeah, of course. so, So like it's very different playing a Monster Hearts game where you're the ghost and everybody else is relatively normal than playing the one ghost in your standard D&D 3.5 adventuring party, which isn't really designed to have a ghost in it. Unless you're playing the ghost walk setting. (laughs) And the cool thing about Monster Hearts or Fellowship or things like that is that the ghost character is special, but so is everyone else. Mm -hmm. They're just differently special. They have their own thing going on. Yeah. And that makes it less disruptive. 
because your special is interesting and unique, but it is not the only special character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, more special is good. (laughs) My fellowship character actually took a class that or a kind of a prestige uh, thing that was sort of based on the undead a little bit. It was in the same uh, handbook as the undead character. It was basically, you know, you're the last of your kind kind of thing. And let me tell you, I had one of the best powers because it was basically whenever you talk to someone, they have to reveal their darkest secret. They don't even know they did it. Ooh, wow. It was fantastic. Huh. Anytime I talked with anyone and, you know, made a role, the worst thing they ever did or their most deeply held secret came out. Hey, so have you ever watched Horns with Daniel Radcliffe? Nope. Uh that's that's a very th- yep, that. Hmm. Um I actually wouldn't recommend watching that for most people. It I I uh, based on I the Joe Hill novel, big, his stuff is pretty messed up from it. what I understand. Oh yeah, gotcha. it's it's real messed up, but like within the first 15 minutes of that movie, you'll you'll get the general idea. It's a really interesting thing to have happen to a character. Fair enough. Um, Let's talk about things that happen to characters, though. Mm -hmm. How you got this way is worth talking about, right? Is this a terrifying undead monster or some tragic ghost that just can't move on? How does everyone else perceive you? Do they know that you're undead? Do you sparkle in the sunlight? (laughs) Or do you have all of the complications of actual vampires yeah can't go in sunlight gotta avoid running water need to be invited into places yeah you know gotta count every seed when it's thrown down you no know, all garlic of those toast things. yeah no spaghetti yeah at least if yeah. it's made right you know you, you got problems mm-hmm. yeah real big problems. problems are there good werewolves uh from the italian peninsula chasing you with fennel you know, <laughs> it's complicated <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know what's your feeling about undeath what's your feeling about other undead are you like well these are all imitations and i'm 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 just in this temporarily i'm i'm the real one i'm a vampire Ugh, zombies so gross or oh my minions or oh yeah man me me and other vampires we just get along great it's cool yeah you know we're fang bros it's fine yeah (laughs) do you have an exit plan yeah do you need to just kind of take care of one thing and then you can actually die for real and move on to whatever your reward is? Or are you in this for the long haul? Are you stuck, basically? Right. Or do you even want to, you know, move on at all? Are you happy where you are? And are you actively avoiding moving on? Right. And that can be an in-character or out-of-character thing, because your character may not know the exit plan, but you as a player may well know, okay, yeah, this is the arc that I'm going to take this character down, Mm -hmm. which is great. One thing that I like, and this is getting away from the idea of, you know, an undead character, but in most games, as soon as you start introducing the undead, every single ghost story is real because, hey, I mean, obviously there are ghosts in this world. Right. But I love the idea of somebody who just loves ghost stories in a world where there are real ghosts and real zombies and that sort of thing. But, oh, man, they are going to chase down every ghost story or they'll go investigate or Hey, Farmer Billy uh, heard something bumping around in his barn. Come on, guys. we Wake up the cleric. We got to go. <laughs> yeah, it was his cow. No, no. Uh, listen, Elf the Barn. Come on. <laughs> in a world where because there are real ghosts, everybody's like, it was a ghost. It was it was a thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's a, a fun tack to, to take. Mm-hmm. For GMs, be sensitive of lines and veils. And this is obviously good general advice, but... This can be a thing that maybe the ubiquity of zombies will blind you to. Yeah. But there are people who are really uncomfortable with undead. Mm -hmm. 
my mom is, I won't say she's like super uncomfortable with undead, but they don't show up in her games. It's not physically possible in the setting that she's made for there to be undead. Like, we went to the Natural History Museum in Paris, and after a while, she got uncomfortable. She got what she called skeletoned out, because the Natural History Museum in Paris is full of skeletons. Floor-to-ceiling skeletons. I love skeletons. I don't give two hecks about undead in games. I love seeing all sorts of skeletons and stuff, which is why I now am probably going to check out Divinity Original Sin 2, find Fane, and he's going to be, you know, my best bud. Everybody yeah, has different limits around You can actually undead. play him. Oh, even better. Think about, too, what role you want the undead to play in your game. Yeah, I've got some thoughts about this for the game that I've been running, actually, if I can jump in here. Let me jump in with one thing real quick. Okay. Uh, it, obviously, we have the very traditional, you know, zombies and ghosts, the usual D&D thing. Yeah. But it's very easy to look at it and say, well, why would somebody stick around for other reasons? Eberron, which has a fun habit of taking all the usual D&D tropes and turning them on their head one way or another, has an entire elven society where they go, well, you know, we're really long-lived and we really depend on those ancestors, so what if we just make sure they stuck around after death? And so they have these good-aligned, positive energy undead that form this sort of eternal council of rulers, which, A, is kind of interesting because you're fighting undead that don't fall to holy magic. Okay, that's a thing. But also... Or you're not fighting them. Yeah. Well, they have kind of your standard, you know, undead troops as well. But they culturally are very much trapped in this very rigid structure of why should anything change? Nothing has changed for 15,000 years or whatever. I mean, we are long lived by default and our rulers have been around for many, many more generations and we keep them around for that reason. It's been working so far. It's a very static society, you know, very hidebound because rulers don't die. They just, you know, if they're influential enough or good enough, they just kind of stick around. Yeah, Arenal is a really interesting place. The the, yeah. the thing about that that's also kind of cool, too, is that may actually be okay in some cases. You know, some of those rulers might be just, hey, I have all this experience, you know. Right, Your and of course that's the idea. For about 700 years. I've been around for 7,000. I've, you know, let's not panic. You know, I've seen the world shattering evil before. Let's just, you know, take it all down a notch. Here's what we did the last four times, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's certainly the idea. But, of course, there is the downside. And that's what Eberron is playing with. Yep. All right, Peter, your game. Yeah, so... uh I have a number of different types and factions that include some undead or that are made up of them in the setting that I've got. In the Yuthi Desert uh, region that the current game is taking place in, there's the ruins of this ancient empire, and it's got a bunch of these um, mummy tomb guardians in it. First of all, um, I suppose a slight spoiler for my two players in here, but this is useful jamming advice. Just because I say that these are, you know, our mummies does not necessarily mean that the game stats for every one of them is a mummy in the monster manual. They don't all have that rotting curse or whatever. They're just undead in wrappings. Peter, to be over- fair, I don't think I was expecting a, a regular monster from the monster manual. It so rarely is with you, and that's what I like. Sorry, continue. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. So one of the one of the things that I did with that particular group is over time, you know, these these guys were all kind of set up as these deathless um, guardians of the the remnants of the civilization as it was falling into ruin. And they've split into two factions, one of which is trying to be stewards of what's left 
they can be spoken with, they can be reasoned with, you know, it's like we're here and our society isn't, but there's all of this useful and powerful stuff left from our society and we want to make sure that it's handled responsibly. And they will sometimes, they interpret that in like, well, you know, maybe a deserving party can take some of this, you know, some of this knowledge, some of these artifacts, you know, this or that, and go off and and use it for a benign purpose, and that will be okay, useful even. It'll preserve our, our legacy as this great society and stuff. There's another group that splintered off from them that is like, no, nah, none of this is for anybody else. And if you set foot in, you know, something that we're guarding, we're just going to kill you. So they're kind of the, the standard malevolent tomb guardians. The, the thing that makes that first group, though, that's a little more social interesting is they remember the world as it was thousands of years ago. So they can they can give you a window into the past, what life was like back then, and they can tell you about important historical events from memory rather than we compiled all of this archaeological data together and we think maybe this is kind of what happened, but we can't be 100% sure. So they can be useful for that because a lot of the time, you know, like we said earlier, some types of undead can stick around for a really long time. Obviously, they're a source of horror for like evil societies. Uh, Alcova, the, the city that um, one of the player characters is kind of a rogue of or fugitive from at this point, uses being turned into a wasp infested mummy as a form of capital punishment. They're a useful fantasy trope. We've touched on this throughout the episode, but a lot of the time, if you run like a traditional D&D style game and you don't include a few undead, the person playing the cleric or paladin is going to feel a little bit shafted because they've got special <laughs> abilities that only work against undead. Yeah. And finally, they can, and this might be kind of just betraying my own biases, but they can be an interesting long shot redemption story. You've got somebody who, you know, became undead through whatever means and has just been locked away somewhere for a really long time and just they've had all this time to think and then they start interacting with people again and maybe they want to do better than they did previously and they can, you know, find some measure of atonement before they pass on or maybe they're still horrible, in which case they just go back into the standard fantasy tropes, but they can be used in interesting ways. Mm -hmm. All right. Do we have anything else on this? I don't think so. No. Good. I think I said my we are, we are over time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Only slightly. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Again, if you have your own thoughts on this, we'd love to hear it either in our Discord, which you can join from our website, which is stgcast.org. Or, of course, you can contact us on social media, Saving the Game on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Twitter is usually the best way to, to get in touch with us, actually, which is always nice. We're looking forward to hearing your stories, especially your interactions with undead characters or undead concepts as a player. Because, again, the GM part is pretty obvious, right? Hey, here's undead monsters. But as a player, we it's, it's a little more interesting. So I'm kind of excited to hear what yeah. people have done there. Mm -hmm. This episode should be coming out like the day before Halloween. So how very yes. appropriate and spooky. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> we we actually did it. Yeah. <laughs> Last time we pulled that off, we had Ken Hyde on to talk about horror, and that was like year two of the podcast. So. <laughs> so it was a while back. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap this up then. Uh, from everyone here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See ya. See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution share alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. 
To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.